Non-rockabotus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? Delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. She <laughs> hung up on me. Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go into the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. I got, I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when they're not. Take an amazing journey to a place that will blow your mind and move your mind so you will never be the same again. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that's Jesus Christ, everybody. Acts 4.12. Fantastic opportunity today before us. Marcus, I am absolutely thrilled. I hope you can sense some of my uh, excitement and anticipation over the last couple of days as I've talked about doing this episode. It's going to be a great episode. I was actually shocked yes. when I was listening to what we're about to play. Yes. So, um, got a link. Uh, today, it's just going to be Marcus and I doing the show. Um, we had sort of, I'm so sure some of you guys are well aware, we had a difficult last week and a half. We um, lost one of our members, a truly amazing sister in Christ. Um, she died unexpectedly, um, suddenly, uh, on a Friday night while Pastor Luke and I were Away in Iowa, I was actually on stage at the conference doing my first talk uh, when Pastor Luke got the phone call that uh, Sarah Arrington uh, had suddenly died. Uh, She was in her kitchen and she um, was taken by the Lord. Um, Again, no one saw it coming uh, and uh, there's really no explanation uh, that makes a lot of sense. She was 35 years old, seven children, uh, one brand new baby girl about a month old. And so we've been dealing with that for the last week and a half. God is still good. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But in the process, uh, or in in the middle of the week while we were preparing for the funeral, the services, and everything else, um, this clip, well, this talk came came my way, and I got to uh, review it. It's a gift. It was a gift from God. (laughs) And uh, many of you guys are well aware of the fact that um, we have... A ministry to the Mormon community. We have for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, when Apologia first started, didn't start as a church, started as Apologia Christian Ministries. I was a pastor at a church, and we started Apologia Christian Ministries as a Christian outreach and apologetics organization uh, to reach churches, uh, to equip believers, to engage unbiblical worldviews to engage the cults that ape Christianity to bring the gospel to them. So that's really what we started Apology of Christian Ministries for. And then God in his providence, according to his own purposes, 
um, sent us on a different course and Apologia Christian Ministries became Apologia Church because of the hospital that I was working at. But initially, one of the main areas of focus was Mormonism. And so if you look back at Apologia Studios on YouTube, that's our channel, you can see that there are hours and hours and hours and hours of conversations, actual conversations with Mormons, with bishops, with Mormon apologists, with uh, Mormon missionaries, and... Um, you can listen to those conversations. Those are all um, uh, opportunities we had for evangelism outside of the temple or in our homes uh, with missionaries or whatever. And so there's also messages, lectures, sermons there on how to reach Mormons. And so it's been from the very beginning uh, part of our desire, our great goal to see Mormonism um, completely collapse and be exposed for the darkness that it really is. To see the Mormon people come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, the true and living Jesus Christ, not the false Christ of Joseph Smith and uh, company. But uh, that has been our goal. We want to see Mormons come to know Jesus Christ. We love the Latter-day Saints. We love that community. We want to see them, we want to see them come to know God. And so that has been uh, really a part of our regular heartbeat. Um, this came across my way. And I want to say before we actually play this, that this episode may be a little bit long, uh, but I think it'll be a worthy uh, and a valuable resource for you to play through and to listen and get to know these things. We think it'll really bless you guys. It can't be too long, though, because the debate's at six. So That's we right. got to right. keep that. Well, yeah. Going. So we're going we're gonna to go ahead because we weren't <laughs> able to do a show last week. We're going to play through this. Uh, we think it'll be valuable. We've done shows on Mormonism before. Uh, this one, I think, will be useful because we might touch on things we haven't touched before. Let me just say that, um, uh, and, and why pick this one? Well, the gentleman who's giving the talk, he gave it at BYU uh, last year, I believe is, is when he gave it. Last year, BYU, Jason Kun- Kunzler. Um, he is a professor. Uh, he is not an apostle. He's not a prophet of Mormonism. Uh, I'm sure there are Latter-day Saints that will attack that particular point and say, well, he doesn't speak authoritatively for the church. Uh, you should know that he was speaking in chapel at BYU, and you should know that this is Mormon doctrine. This is classical Mormon theology, classic Mormon doctrine regarding the prophets. And Jason quotes from uh, Mormon apostles and prophets really copiously in this discussion. Um, this should be helpful, and here's why. The reason I, I think we should do an episode actually engaging this is because for many, many years, outside of the Mormon temple in Mesa, Arizona, either at the Easter pageant or at the Christmas lights, I have read actual documentation resources from Mormon prophets and apostles um, with some of these exact statements that Jason refers to. And it's interesting to note that in the many years now that this is 20 years of evangelism and outreach outside the Mormon temple in Mesa uh, and, and elsewhere um, 20 years I have gotten from the Mormon people, nothing but resistance to these quotations. I have received um, strenuous denial I have received ridicule. I've been ridiculed for even bringing these things up. Um, Mormons have said many, many times, countless times to me, I don't believe that. We do not view Joseph Smith in that way. Uh, This is anti-Mormon propaganda. And here you have at BYU, um, obviously a, a sympathetic institution to Mormonism, 
a professor at BYU quoting from the prophets and apostles of Mormonism, telling you exactly what they believe about Joseph Smith. Now, let me say this before I actually push play on this. I believe, brothers and sisters, if you have love for Mormons, if you love your Mormon friends, your family, your neighbors, I believe we are in such a fantastic time right now. It is such a gift. And I, I mean that so, so truly. It is such a gift right now that we are able to reach the Mormon people in a time where there is such free access to information. Back in 1996, when I first went to the Mormon temple in Mesa, Arizona, I used to have to go out with a backpack full. I mean, it was weighing me down. It's probably where some of my arthritis came from, to be honest with you, in my, in my spine. Um, I had a backpack full of materials a heavy, heavy bag with original source documentation, photocopies of original documents, history of the church, journal of discourses, times and seasons, uh, you name it. I had it in my bag so that when we engaged in conversation and I said, well, Mormonism teaches this, Joseph said this, Brigham said that, Orson Pratt said this, Orson Hyde said that, I could demonstrate through a visual copy of an original source document that those things were, in fact, the teaching of the church. They were said. Uh, and now we live in a time where there is such free access to information via Google that you can pull out this stuff on your smartphone. I almost don't need to bring anything anymore. I just bring my Bible. And uh, where does it say that? And maybe one or two small resources. But it's so easy to, to get into this information so quickly, so readily available. Let me just say, I have said so many times recently that I believe that Google, praise God, is uh, responsible for much of the destruction of Mormonism and its deception and lies. Uh, the free access to information. Just just try this as an experiment. Watch, just try this. Um, after you listen to this episode, go to YouTube and type in Mormon or type in Mormonism, type in Joseph Smith, and take a look at all the videos that come up. I mean, it is almost all critique, almost all um, evaluation. It is almost all uh, lectures, messages, discussions, podcasts, vlogs, refuting Mormonism and its claims. You have now free access to the, the history of Mormonism, its beginnings, its inception. You have all that documentation, documentaries done on Joseph Smith, the history of Mormonism that will show you the whole story. All this free access, I believe, is responsible for this mass exodus that people refer to of people coming out of Mormonism. It is really a tremendous time for us to be living in, in terms of ministry, Outreach to the Mormon community. If you have love for Mormon people, this is the time to engage this like no other. Uh, in 1996, it was hard to get this information out to people. You had to know where to go to get it. You had to purchase it. It had to be sent to you. Um, uh, do Mormons have access to the, inf the information? Not necessarily. It's not just readily available for them. But now it is. And I believe that that's one of the reasons that Mormon leaders, a professor at BYU, people like him, ha have to do these kinds of discussions. They need to inoculate their people. They have to protect them from the free access of information. They have to cause them to fear. You need to know something. There is a tremendous chapter at the beginning of the Kingdom of the Cults, written by Dr. Walter Martin, a tremendous chapter uh, about the sociological manipulation of the cults. And you need 
to read that. You need to know it. People say, well, how could people be so deceived? Well, number one, it's spiritually, it's spiritual fundamentally. At bottom, it is we are rebels against the king. Romans 1, we know the true God. We don't want him in our knowledge. And so what do we do? We switch him for idols. Why are there so many false religions? So many religions that ape Christianity and distort the message? Because fundamentally, we're at war with God. We're rebels. We switch God for idols. We don't want the true God. We want the, jo- we want the, the God of Joseph Smith. We want the God that looks like us. We want the God that we can be sort of on par with. You know, we want the God we can sort of be equals to. We want the God where we can do what he does. That's the God of Joseph Smith. One God among many gods. I'm going to tell you how God came to be God, Joseph says in the King Fallout Discourse. We've imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I'll refute that idea and take away and do away the veil so that you may see. You've got to learn to become gods yourselves the same way all gods have done before you. That's the God of Mormonism. And, and wouldn't you know it, that's, that's, so, that's so much of what we desire as fallen image bearers of God. We want to usurp God. We want to take away his throne. We want to take his position. We want to be like him. We want to be equal to him. Now, Mormons will say, no, 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 no. He is God and we'll worship him for all eternity. No, okay, fine. But through exaltation, you're working to become a God and goddess of your own planet like he did. Same story. You're following in his footsteps, becoming a god over your own planet like him. As man is, God once was. As God is, man may become. Famous quotation. Mormon missionaries, teenagers, they know it. They learn it in seminary all over Arizona. Um, it's just common knowledge. So it's Mormons. It's what they believe. So, so with that, I have had, again, strenuous argument at these points regarding joseph smith and i believe that these kinds of admissions this kind of inoculation being attempted over the mormon people um demonstrates that we are in a good place right now to be witnessing to mormons we are in a fantastic place it's a gift from god i'm telling you right now brothers and sisters if there's ever a time to engage mormonism it is right now one last thing i will say the great tragedy the great tragedy in this right now, in this moment, in these circumstances with the Mormon people and this free access to information is that many Mormons are going online, they're doing Google searches, they're looking on YouTube, they're listening to things, they're seeing the deceiver that Joseph Smith truly was, they're seeing the deception that their religion is based upon, they're seeing its lies, and what they're doing is they're abandoning faith altogether and they're saying... From their perspective, abandoning faith. Nobody really abandons faith. Everybody has faith, even atheists. But they're abandoning faith to go to atheism, agnosticism, because they're thinking, well, if I was so deceived by Joseph Smith, well, then that must also mean that Jesus was a deceiver as well. And so that what they're doing is they're not turning to Christ, the true and living God. They're not experiencing life in him. They're just abandoning everything altogether. And they're just saying, well, I'll default to atheism or agnosticism. And so we have to make sure as believers that we stay consistent as the means of God's grace in their lives by pointing them to the true God. Marcus, anything you want to say before I, before I hit play? No, I'm excited to hear this, man. Yeah. Because I haven't listened to the whole thing yet. Yeah. I've only like skimmed through it based on what you were talking about. But I'm excited to get into it because I listened to the first few minutes and it just infuriated yeah. me. Yeah. Well, tell me if you want me to stop at any point. I'll okay. go ahead and hit That's pause. Um, and I, w- I will say uh, there was a condensed version of this. It was about 14 minutes long. 
I considered just playing that, but then as I watched through the full thing, there were things that the condensed version missed that you really need to hear. And uh, I do want to anticipate the objection of somebody that says, well, you didn't play through the whole thing. You just play through a cut-up version of it. And so I'm going to go ahead and say, okay, well, then I won't do that. I'll play through the whole thing, which means this episode may be a little longer, okay, a little bit longer, but worth your time. And let me just suggest something. Number one, listen to this whole thing. Number two, pray for the Mormon people. Number three, share this with your Christian friends so they can know how to minister to Mormons. And number four, share it with your Mormon friends. And I wanted to say something to any Mormon who is listening to this right now, any Latter-day Saint who has had the courage to listen to this podcast. First of all, thank you for being courageous. I mean that. Thank you for being courageous enough to listen. We love you. We do not want to harm you. We do not hate you. We care very deeply for you. And we want you to know the true God. We are not trying to rob you of faith. We are trying to point you to faith, to the true Christ. Any one of us can be deceived. The standard is what does God say? Not what does Jeff say? Not what does Joseph say? Not what does Marcus say? What does God say? I'm, I'm pointing you, we are pointing you to Jesus Christ here. And we hope that you'll experience the life and peace that we have experienced in him. So here we go. This is again, Jason Kunzler. I hope I'm saying that right. BYU, Idaho, devotional. This Brigham Young University, Idaho devotional address by Jason Kunzler, a faculty member in the business management department at BYU, Idaho, was given October 20th, 2015. And brothers and sisters, thank you for being here. I'm grateful for the invitation to address you and pray that the Spirit of God may be present and teach us this afternoon. In 1984, Elder Bruce R. McConkie described a survey that was given at the, the Missionary Training Center in Provo. The missionaries were asked to evaluate their own testimonies about ten different truths, including God is my Father, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Joseph Smith is a prophet of God, the Book of Mormon is the Word of God, Spencer W. Kimball is a prophet of God today, and five other doctrinal matters. I quote what happened next from his biography. In a very sober tone, Elder McConkie asked, would you be interested in knowing which of these 10 areas was the lowest in terms of testimony? Everyone nodded. He said, the lowest area of testimony across elders, sisters, and couples was Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. Elder McConkie then raised his voice and said, something's wrong. Something's terribly wrong. Brothers and sisters, Elder McConkie is right. If Joseph Smith and the restoration of the gospel through him is not a fundamental part of our testimony, then something is definitely wrong. As President Joseph Fielding Smith said, we link the names of Jesus Christ and of Joseph Smith. Now, just quickly, I want to point to the fact that this is uh, classic Mormon language that we need to understand. Uh, Mormonism does not claim, Joseph Smith did not claim, that he came to reform Christianity, but to restore 
it, to restore it, there is a fundamental distinction between reformation and restoration. We need to know that Mormonism teaches that there was a great apostasy, and essentially the church was destroyed and left from the earth. And what God did in and through Joseph Smith and his work is he brought a restoration of the truth, and so it was gone. Now, just quickly, some passages you need to know regarding that. Daniel seven thirteen through 14, that he would come up to the Ancient of Days, Jesus, the Son of Man. He'd be given a kingdom that would never pass away. It would never be destroyed. So that's Daniel. Jesus, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, went up to the Father, was seated on his throne, and he was given a kingdom. Don't forget the charge in the Great Commission is to go and make disciples of all nations. That fits very, very well. It dovetails nicely with Daniel seven thirteen through 14. Don't forget uh, the confession of, of Peter about Jesus Christ. You, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says, you know, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but you're my Father who's in heaven. And what does he say? He says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Joseph says they did. Also, you need to look for Jude, verse 3. There's only one chapter there. It's a short letter. In verse 3, it says, Earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Joseph denied that. And so the restoration of the gospel, the start of Mormonism, is an attack on the words of Scripture and the Christian church. President Brigham Young taught the same principle. He said, What I have received from the Lord... I have received by Joseph Smith. If I drop him, I must drop these principles. No man on the earth can say that Jesus lives and deny at the same time the prophet Joseph. This is my testimony. Now this becomes the beginning uh, of the comparisons, the parallels between Joseph Smith and Jesus Christ. And something you need to take note of with all these religions that ape Christianity, they have to invest. This is an epistemological point. This is how do you know something is true? What's the basis of your knowledge, the rock-solid foundation of your knowledge? What is the ultimately self-attesting authority? Now, if all that throws you, please hang on. This is so important to get. When you look at the landscape and you see all these different religions, whether it is Roman Catholicism, whether it is Mormonism, whether it is the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, you name it. From an epistemological standpoint, all these religions will say they will give credence to the Bible as the word of God. They say, well, that's the word of God. We stand on that as well. But they also have the standard running alongside the Bible. So for Roman Catholicism... It is the, uh, the, the, the divine deposit. It is the, the teaching magisterium of the church. Now that runs alongside the Bible. It is divinely inspired in itself. That's how they view it. But what happens is, is they say, well, we believe the Bible too. But when there's a conflict between the scriptures and divine tradition, what wins? This is something Greg Bonson said. Um, it was powerful. When you have two standards running alongside one another, in particular, with say the Bible and another one, what happens is the Bible ends up being eaten up by the other standard. The other standard wins out because you can't have two self-attesting authorities. You can't have two ultimate authorities. One is going to win over the other. Sounds much like Jesus says when he says you cannot serve two masters. And in terms of epistemolo- epistemological points, When you have Joseph Smith's testimony, 
You have to rest there and say, well, it, it, it's together. We line them up together, Joseph and Jesus. It all hinges on Joseph. Why? Because we're either going to believe Jesus' words or we're going to believe Joseph's words because they do come into conflict. You have to have Joseph. Note also what happens in these religions. In Roman Catholicism, what do our Roman Catholic friends do with Mary? It's the deification of Mary. They take Mary and they deify her. They take Mary and they make her into an object of worship. They actually take Mary and they make, make her co-redemptrix, co-mediatrix. She's a co-mediator with Jesus Christ. You need Mary to get through to Jesus. Now, people say, oh, that's just awful and horrible and and uh, who could do such a thing well it happens across the board anytime you're going to have two authorities fighting over one another one authority has to win out you can't have two masters and again that's an epistemological point and so when you look at roman catholicism they do with mary they deify her and they actually have her as a co-mediator with jesus now here in mormonism same situation with joseph you need joseph to get through to jesus now, if you don't believe that that's where he's going with this, you just need to hang on. We should expect intense opposition to surround Joseph Smith because he represents, in the words of President Gordon B. Hinckley, the hinge on which turns the gate that leads to salvation and eternal life. Wow. Sheesh. So, if you, I mean, here's the thing. You might have, maybe if you're a Latter-day Saint and you're listening right now, and you're thinking that, well, he's just exaggerating, he's just blowing this out of proportion, that is blasphemy. There's no two ways about it. That is blasphemous, and it is denigrating to the Christian message, the gospel, Jesus Christ and his work. You think for a moment, I said there's a, there always is a, an attempt at paralleling um, the authority of this particular cult and Jesus and his work. Now, look what he says. He is the hinge... Well, that's interesting because Jesus says he's the door. He's the door. See, Jesus is the door, right? He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. That's Jesus Christ. But you see, Jesus is the door, but in Mormonism, Joseph becomes the hinge. That, that seems more important than the door. <laughs> the door you doesn't work I mean? like, without the hinge. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. And it, maybe a Mormon is listening right now and Latter-day Saints says, well, yeah, I believe that. Right. We know you do. We know you do. And this is classic Mormon theology. This is, this is a classic Mormon soteriology. It's what you believe about the doctrine of salvation. You must have Joseph to ultimately have Jesus. But notice again the parallels. Joseph becomes as important or, in, in a sense, more important than Jesus you got to have Joseph to get to Jesus. Jesus is the door, but Joseph is that hinge that the door swings on. It doesn't work without Joseph. After the angel Moroni introduced himself to Joseph Smith, he told him that his name should be had for good and evil among all nations, kindreds, and tongues, or that it should be both good and evil spoken of among all people. Today, it's obvious that Moroni's prophecy is fulfilled among the nations. But I invite each of us to sincerely reflect on his prophecy. The problem with this is we can do an historical examination 
of Joseph Smith's history with the angel Moroni, what he claimed about the angel Moroni. Um, and we can see that even after the revelation of the angel Moroni, uh, allegedly in 1823, September 23rd of 1823, where the angel Moroni allegedly visited him, you can see that um, further on, and that was 1823, you can see further on that Joseph Smith actually demonstrated uh, problems in terms of what he believed about what, jo- what the... Um, what the angel Moroni told him because in 1828 in the spring uh, or summer of 1828, Joseph Smith actually signed up for a Methodist church membership class. Now what Joseph is doing signing up for the Methodist church in 1823, when an 18, uh, 1828, when in 1823, he's told by the angel Moroni um, that there's a record hidden in a hill a few miles from his home Uh, is beyond me. But please take note of this. Jesus does tell us in Matthew chapter 7 that you shall know them by their fruits. It's not enough to say, well, the angel Moroni said that people are going to, you know, they're going to diss Joseph Smith. They're going to, you know, they're going to say things about him and his name will be, you know, for some people evil. And so, hey, the angel's prophecy is true. Well, here's the only problem is that Joseph Smith's life his actual record, his life, his contradictory way of speaking, his false doctrine, his false prophecies, his arrest record for in, in 1826 in Bainbridge, New York for crystal ball gazing. The, that's, uh, by the way, a practice that God uh, calls an abomination in Deuteronomy chapter 18. This record that he has in his life is important. It is valid. Um, it is reasonable to bring it up. And we need to take note of the fact that when Joseph Smith is examined uh, biblically, when people actually uh, critique his prophecies and his teachings, when they look at his life, his fruit, that's a biblical thing to do. We are allowed to do that. It's not enough to say, well, you know, people, the angel said that people are going to diss, you know, Joseph. So look, it's a fulfilled prophecy. So there you go. Well, the only problem is, is like those are all valid questions to ask. And the refutations of Joseph Smith's theology, the examination of his false prophecies are relevant. That's relevant information. And by the way, true. As it relates to our individual hearts, in your own heart, is Joseph Smith's name had for good? A name of virtue, purity, and righteousness. Or is his name had for evil, a name of questionable character or wavering inconsistency? Elder McConkie believed that the measure of a person's spiritual maturity is found in his or her loyalty to the prophet Joseph Smith. And there is the display of the chasm fixed between Mormonism and biblical faith. The measure of a person's spirituality based upon Joseph Smith? Not Jesus Christ? Not their life of devotion and faith in Jesus Christ? To Jesus Christ? Not their life of fruit from the abiding and dwelling presence of the Spirit of God in their life? Fruit. Showing the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. The fact that what they say about God is consistent with what God says about himself. That's not the measure. It's devotion to Joseph Smith. You see, again, this comes down to a question of epistemology. 
How do you know what you know? How do you know something to be true? And if you're going to have a religion like Mormonism that apes Christianity, that borrows our terminology and distorts the message, if it's going to have any strength at all, it cannot be based off the scriptures themselves. It must be based upon the authority of the one distorting the message. Why? Because when the Bible contradicts Joseph, you need devotion to Joseph. You cannot question his character. He is the way to salvation. That is how these religions do it. It is how they manipulate the people who are under their authority. They give you a singular devotion to Joseph Smith, their prophet. He becomes the standard. How loyal are we to him? We live in a time when the character of Joseph Smith is under attack. The attacks against him come from every quarter, both flagrant attacks from outside the church and more subtle and deadly attacks from among some members within. President Hinckley taught that now is a day of fulfillment for the prophecy recorded in the 122nd section of the Doctrine and Covenants, wherein the Lord tells Joseph Smith that the ends of the earth shall inquire after thy name, and fools shall have thee in derision, and hell shall rage against thee, while the pure in heart, and the wise, and the noble, and the virtuous shall seek counsel and authority and blessings constantly from under thy hand. And there you go. There you go. There is the way to manipulate the minds of the unsuspecting. To tell people, well, it's the evil people that would question you and your character. It's the evil people that would put you to the test. While it is the pure in heart and the wise and the noble and the virtuous, they shall seek counsel and authority and blessings constantly from under thy hand. Joseph, this is part of the spiritual manipulation and deception, the sociological manipulation present within the cults. The devil knows that if he can only destroy the character of the prophet Joseph Smith in our hearts, then we will be barred from the presence of God the Father and Jesus Christ. There you go. Joseph in your heart? There you go. (laughs) The character of Joseph in your heart. You see, the devil knows that if you go after his character, then you won't have salvation. And so what does that do? It puts fear into the minds of the Mormon people. Do not question Joseph. Do not question his teachings. Do not question his character. Now compare that to Jesus Christ. When Jesus stood, he could stand before people who knew him best. He could stand before friends, family, and by the way, enemies, people who were hostile toward him. And he could say this to them, and he did say this to them. He said, which of you accuses me of sin? What did Jesus do? He openly allowed people to even try. Even try. Make the attempt. Which of you accuses me of sin? Jesus didn't say, don't you even think about such a thing. I won't even let you engage in that discussion. He actually says, which of you accuses me of sin? Come on. 
Call him on the mat. Let's, let's see you bring it forth. And by the way, you notice that the Bible doesn't talk about any other prophets and apostles in this way as though you couldn't challenge their teachings. So, for example, everybody knows the famous example in the book of Acts, the believers in Berea, the Berean Christians. We know the example. When he comes in, it says that the believers there were more noble than minded than those who were in Thessalonica because when Paul preached to them, they searched the scriptures daily to see if what he was saying was so. He didn't simply pull rank on people, although, of course, it's appropriate for the apostle to pull rank at times, but he didn't just simply pull rank on them. In that instance, it caused them more noble-minded because they actually tested what the apostle Paul was saying. And notice also something very, very important, that the apostles and prophets in the Bible readily admit to their own moral failures. And it's on the page. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah gets a vision of God's holiness, and what is the first thing he does? He cut, what's he do? He says, woe is me. He's immediately aware of his own sinfulness. He says, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm coming apart at the seams. He knows his own sin before God. He readily admits to it. How about the Apostle Paul? What's he call himself? The chief of sinners. I mean, the Apostle Paul knows that if anybody came to him, they could have said, this was your life, and he would have readily admitted to his own sin. And here you have Joseph Smith being exalted as a person with pristine character, and you are told that you will ultimately not experience salvation if you question the man's character. Also, the Bible says that if a prophet is wrong, to put him to death. It does. And you shouldn't fear him. So that obviously requires some sort of study and discernment as to what he says and whether or not it's true or not. Very good. Attesting of the prophets. Yeah. In the Bible, prophets are to be tested. Guess what? So is Jesus. You must also test Jesus. He must actually fit the bill. He has to actually pass the test that God laid down for a prophet. That's allowed. Let me just welcome Latter-day Saints who are listening to this now. You are allowed to put Jesus to the same test and in terms of filtering through what he says with Scripture, putting him to the very standards in Scripture that God commands you to put him to. As President Brigham Young testified, no man or woman in this dispensation will ever enter into the celestial kingdom of God without the consent of Joseph Smith. From the day that the priesthood was taken from the earth to the winding up scene of all things, every man and woman must have the certificate of Joseph Smith Jr. as a passport to their entrance into the mansion where God and Christ are. I with you and you with me. Now that is a passage. Ouch is right, Marcus. That, uh, no, I mean, he's a mediator now? Well, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Marcus, that's a passage. It says there's one, between, one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. That's right. That's right. But they're saying, well, yeah, but there's Joseph Smith, the mere prophet. Yes. And Marcus, this is, this is actually a passage that I have quoted many, many, many times to Mormon people. And I have had, again, strenuous objection for doing so and full denial. No, we do not believe that. Uh, That's not um, actually part of our canon. That's Joseph Smith's message. And and of course, you can go to Joseph, sorry, Brigham Young's message. And of course, you can go to Brigham Young saying that um, he never had given a sermon and sent it out to the children of men. They could not call scripture. And so his sermons were, in fact, scripture, according to Brigham. But I've, again, had Mormons deny 
this strenuously, but you can't because it is classic Mormon soteriology. It is part of the classic teaching of the church. Now, Mormons today, some Mormons may deny it. Just know that if you deny what Joseph, or sorry, Brigham says here, you are undermining your initial claims about Mormonism restoring prophets and apostles to the church. And, of course, Marcus is exactly right. The Bible says there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. One God, one mediator. Joseph cannot be a mediator. And to even suggest so is blasphemous. It's an abomination to suggest such a thing and to profess to be Christian. What does Jesus say in John 14, 6? He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 12. I already quoted it today. And there is salvation in no one else. Take that for what it says. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2.5, by the way, is a reference for one God and one mediator. And, and, and you, you must know that the scriptures teach clearly that it is only through Christ that you will be saved. Unless you have the Son, you will not have life, but the wrath of God abides in you. This is unbelievably, unbelievably anti-Christian to suggest that Joseph Smith is your passport, your certificate into the, for entrance into the mansion where God and Christ are. It is fundamentally not Christian. Here's my hope. My hope is that Mormons would see Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, these false prophets for what they truly are and you would come to the true and living God, the only God, the eternal God, the triune God, to the Christ who created everything in existence and without him, John 1, nothing's come into being that came into being. It is only through Jesus Christ where there is freedom for all eternity because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to us as a gift through faith, not our works. All of our sins washed away, cleansed. Joseph Smith cannot do that for you. I cannot go there without his consent. He holds the keys of that kingdom for the last dispensation. Today, I would like to mention three things that can help each of us to prepare to know the prophet Joseph Smith as he really was and as he really is, that we may gain entrance into the mansion where God and Christ are. Here you go. That's, I, this is why I felt it was so important for you to hear this. Here's a man speaking consistently as a Mormon, consistently referring to Mormon prophets, their teaching, telling you the way that it is. You have to know Joseph for salvation. To enter into the mansion where God and Christ are, you must have Joseph Smith. It's not biblical. It's not Christianity. It is just false teaching. Joseph Smith is a false prophet. This man's a false prophet, a false teacher. You can know Christ. You can have life. First, beware of the many voices, whether out of the church or inside it, that humanize Joseph Smith by calling into question any aspect of his character. Did you catch that? Humanize? Don't you dare humanize Joseph Smith by calling into question any aspect of his character. Now, I, I want you to, to tell me this. Where, where in the scriptures do you find that 
sort of thing. Where, where in the scriptures do you see prophets and apostles being spoken of, spoken of in as, as completely righteous with, with no sin and uh, no blemish on their character or their past? Again, who wrote most of the New Testament? The Apostle Paul. What's he call himself? The chief of sinners. Are we really? And by the way, notice there isn't an apostle or prophet in the Bible that speaks about himself or they speak about another prophet and apostle in the way that this man does about Joseph Smith. Not at once. You will never find it. Nowhere says in the Bible that the Apostle Paul is in any way linked in any way to our relationship with God in terms of being a passport or a certificate into the mansion where God and Christ are. And it it doesn't happen. Peter is not that way. John is not not that way. James is not that way. Paul is not that way. Nobody is spoken of in that way in our Bibles. And nobody is spoken of in such a way as to say that they have a character that is without flaw or sin or blemish. Only Jesus is spoken of in that way. And by the way, once again, I'll point us back to it. This is, this is an epistemological necessity for Mormons. You must have somebody next to the ultimate standard that ultimately has more standard than that. So you can say all day long, well, we have the Bible, we believe the Bible, but you put more authority, invest more authority in Joseph Smith and the teaching magisterium, in a way, of the Mormon church, than you do the Bible. These voices come from those who lift up the heel against the Lord's anointed and cry that he has sinned when he has not sinned before me, saith the Lord, but has done that which I commanded him. Touch not Lord, the Lord's anointed. Touch not the Lord's anointed. Hmm. And by the way, uh, in egregious misquotation of scripture at this point. Uh, It's not saying that God's prophets had absolutely no sin. It's in the mission and task they were called to. This man actually is saying that Joseph Smith's character was flawless. And yes, you will, you will hear that in a moment. As the Lord warned, they cry transgression because they are the servants of sin and are the children of disobedience themselves. So anybody who is putting Joseph Smith's teachings and his record of life on display, they are people who love their sin. They are the disobedient ones. Do you you see what happens here? You have to create a category here in order to manipulate people's minds. You see, what's happening here is the people who are questioning Joseph Smith's, Smith's teachings and his character and his life, these people are the servants of sin. They are the ones who are following Satan. And if you question his character, not only will you lose your entrance into the mansion where God and Christ are, you will display that you are a servant of sin. You are children of disobedience. That's what happens. And there, there goes the manipulation. Don't question him. President Ezra Taft Benson warned of those who point out alleged weaknesses of prophets like Joseph Smith. He said, There have been and continue to be attempts to bring a humanistic philosophy into our own church history. We would warn you teachers of this trend, which seems to be an effort to reinterpret the history of the church so that it is more rationally appealing to the world. Some want to expose the weaknesses of church leaders in an effort to show that they too are subject to human frailties and error like unto themselves. In view of the covenants taken in holy places, I would not have such temerity. 
our beloved president, Boyd K. Packer, who departed this life just a few months ago, echoed President Benson's warning. He said, I have on occasion been disappointed when I have read in writings of those who are supposed to be worthy members of the Church statements that tend to belittle or degrade past leaders of the Church. President Packer continued, That historian or scholar who delights in pointing out the weakness and frailties of present or past leaders destroys faith. A destroyer of faith, particularly one within the Church, places himself in great spiritual jeopardy. He is serving the wrong master, and unless he repents, he will not be among the faithful in the eternities. There's another scare tactic. Let me just say this. Um, if you want to know, like, well, how could, what can I compare this to? What, what, what does the Bible offer that is different than this? Uh, it's the antithesis, my friends. It's the antithesis. So, for example, I've said it already. I'll, I'll say it just quickly again. Search your Bible. You will see all of the prophets and apostles of God. Their sin is on the page. It's on the page. They confess readily to it. They say, yeah, that's me. That's my old life. That's my sin. That's my need for Jesus. How about this? How about today in the modern context? I'm a, I'm a pastor, a pastor of a church, and I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. You must test everything that I say by scripture. My life is to be is to be lined up with scripture. And guess what? As a minister of the gospel at Apologia Church, I am under authority. Of course, I have authority as a minister of the gospel. I have spiritual authority as a pastor and shepherd to these people under my care, but I am under authority. You can my 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 life cannot go without being checked. I am under authority. There there is another elder who confronts me. There is a deacon board. There is a congregation who can confront my teaching if it's not consistent with Scripture or my life that is not consistent with Scripture. I need you to know, as a minister of the gospel, as a, as a person who is saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, that I am not without sin as a minister. God is working on me. I am a work in progress. And you might say, well, that seems fearful. How do I know I can trust you? Here's the thing. You only know you can trust what I say because it lines up with the word of God. When I say something that's consistent with Scripture, you know that it's true because it's what the Bible says. If I say something that's inconsistent with Scripture, you know that it's not true because it contradicts God's holy word. And my life is not a life as a minister of the gospel without sin. You can pull up parts of my past before Christ where you can point to things and say, that was a wicked thing to do. And I'm going to say, yes, and Jesus saved me. But I would never, no Christian should ever say that you can't question my character You can't confront something in my life that is inconsistent. This is scare tactics at the highest level. These prophetic warnings expose real dangers that lurk around us now. Historical writings about Joseph Smith that are more rationally appealing to the world fail the Lord's test as set forth by the prophet Nephi. He said, Wherefore, the things which are pleasing unto the world... I do not write, but the things which are pleasing unto God and unto those who are not of the world. By the way, that is uh, not God's test of a prophet. Um, God's test of a prophet, you can find in the scriptures a couple uh, places for you to go and look at. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, uh, even even if he has signs and wonders, but he leads you after a different God, that's how you know he's a false prophet. Deuteronomy 18, uh, fantastic passage, 20 through 22, uh, 
that's a test of a prophet. If he has a single false prophecy, he's a false prophet. Does Joseph Smith have false prophecies? A- absolutely. What are those? Okay, no, let's do a couple. Okay, so number one, uh, coming of the Lord. Uh, this is from History of the Church, volume two, page 182. President Smith then stated that the meeting had been called because God had commanded it. And it was made known to him by vision and by the Holy Spirit. So this is not personal, okay? This is not just from his own, um, uh, his, his own self. This is from God himself. It was the will of God that they should be ordained to the ministry and go forth to prune the vineyard for the last time for the coming of the Lord, which was near. Even 56 years should wind up on the scene. I believe that's Lyman White who, who stated that uh, Joseph was present for that. Uh, the prophecy was spoken, uh, that, that was spoken in 1835, um, it was recorded by Oliver Cowdery, and um, uh, 56 years would have been uh, 1891, so that's come and gone. Uh, and this can go on and on and on. Uh, Joseph Smith prophesied that the United States government will be overthrown in a few years. He said, I prophesy in the name of the Lord God of Israel, unless the United States... States redresses the wrongs committed upon the saints in the state of Missouri and punish the crimes committed by her officers that in a few years the government will be utterly overthrown and wasted. And there will be not so much as a potsherd left for the wickedness and permitting the murder of men, women, and children and the wholesale plunder and extermination of thousands of her citizens to go unpunished. History of the Church, Volume 5, page 394. That was made in 1843, May 6th of 1843. Uh, of course, the United States government did not redress uh, any of those wrongs against the Mormons in the state of Missouri. Uh, and again, it's 2016. Now we can go on and on and on. Uh, he did, of course, this is a famous one, uh, prophesy that a temple would be built in, in Zion, Missouri. This is from DNC, section 84. It says this was a revelation given through Joseph Smith, the prophet, at Kirtland, Ohio, September 22nd and 23rd, 1832. Uh, it says, well, number one, a revelation of Jesus Christ and his servant Joseph Smith, Jr., and six elders as they united their hearts and lifted their voices on high. Number two, that yea, the word of the Lord concerning his church, established in the days for the restoration of his people, as he has spoken by the mouth of the prophets, and for the gathering of his saints to stand upon Mount Zion, which shall be the city of New Jerusalem. Number three, which city shall be built, beginning of the temple lot, which is appointed by the finger of the Lord in the western boundaries of the state of Missouri, and dedicated by the hand of Joseph Smith Jr. and others with whom the Lord was well pleased. Number four, verily, this is the word of the Lord that the new city, Jerus- the city New Jerusalem, shall be built by the gathering of the saints, beginning at this place, even the place of the temple, which temple shall be reared in this generation. Number five. For verily, this generation shall not pass away until all till an house shall be built unto, unto the Lord, and a cloud shall rest upon it, which cloud shall be even the glory of the Lord, which shall fill the house. Now, there's much, much more we could say, but yes, false prophecies. One after another. You only needed one. Only needed one. And we can go on. We can go on. Joseph Smith said that nobody would be able to kill him uh, before his work was done. He was murdered in Carthage, Illinois. Uh, it was murder. Absolutely murder. He was not a martyr uh, because he shot back, and I believe he killed two men uh, in the process of him being killed. Of course, it, again, I don't want to uh, minimize that. He was murdered. It was unjust. It was against biblical law for that to happen. Uh, he also didn't finish uh, the pearly great price. He didn't finish that work. He said that nobody would be able to take his life until he had finished his work. Um, he was prophesied over that he would remain in the priest's office until Christ returned. Um, and of course, you know, we can go on and on and on. 
uh, he had said that these were given to him as direct revelation by the Holy Spirit of God, that they were to go forth and prune the vineyard until the last time of the coming of the Lord, which was near even 56 years should wind up on the scene. I mean, again, false prophecy, one after another. Brigham Young has his own false prophecies as well. The world. Some readers are attracted to writings that point out some perceived character flaw in the prophet Joseph Smith because they think it will make them feel better about their own flaws or sins. Brothers and sisters, let me just say an encouraging word to any Latter-day Saint who's listening to this. Uh, that, is, that is not the case. Let's go ahead and confess to it. Marcus is a sinner. I'm a sinner. Our sin is right before us. I don't want to minimize any of my sin. I don't want to minimize any wicked thing I've ever done. It's been cleansed. It's been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Our desire to critique the life of Joseph Smith and his teachings is because we have deep love and concern for the Mormon people and love for God and his truth. It has nothing to do with trying to hide our own sin. If you want to sit down, I'll give you a list. And I I bet many of our listeners, uh, my life of sin and my past, the things that I've done that God has redeemed me from, uh, I can probably beat most of you in terms of wicked, awful things. My year of depravity and drug and alcohol addiction was just something else. And God redeemed me from that. And, and, and we're all still a work in progress. Let me assure you that what this man says is absolutely, undeniably true. No Christian is coming after Mormonism who loves Mormons and God because they're trying to hide their own sins. We love the Mormon people and we desire to see them saved. It is Satan who wants us to feel at ease about our sins. God, on the other hand, wants us to repent of them. Dwelling on the faults of anyone, especially the assumed faults of the Lord's anointed, only leads to destruction. Remember, in the scriptures... Except that's not the pattern and model that we have for us in our New Testament. Yes, New Testament apostles did name false teachers by name and pointed out their corrupt sinful practice. It's in your New Testament. And so what this man suggests in terms of never being able to critique a prophet of God is in fact not biblical practice. It is just not biblical practice. It is a very, very, very effective way of keeping Mormons from investigating the truth, which is so readily available on Google. It is the devil called a liar from the beginning who is described as the accuser of the brethren, which accused them before our God day and night. But Yes, he is. That is true. But Satan is also called a deceiver. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. Think back to Genesis 3, 4 through 5. What was that? Deception. What was it doing? It was taking the word of God and it was subtle. It was subtlety. It was subtlety to twist God's words just enough to deceive Eve, to take God's word and to twist it in just such a way where it sounds just so similar. It's a subtle change, but it's just enough to call you to question God's own revelation, which is, by the way, what happened with Eve in the garden is it was God says this. And what does the devil say? He says, hath God said, did God really say and then he questions God's word and he contradicts it. He contradicts it. He says, what? The opposite. 
And that's precisely what you have in Mormonism. You also have John chapter 8, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he's a liar and the father of lies. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians eleven three. But I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness... Your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And what does he say in Ephesians 6.11? Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. Last one, Revelation 12.9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He deceives the whole world. That is what Satan engages in deception and that is precisely what jason is engaging in here and his brother hiram have overcome their accuser by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony for they loved not their own lives but kept the testimony even unto death well we need to talk about that you see uh again we will readily admit that what happened to joseph smith and his brother in Carthage was murder when he was in this jail and these men came up and they came to to kill them um, that was against biblical law God commands against that sort of a thing in terms of justice God in his word he gives us word that militates against the idea of mob justice and so when these people came to destroy Joseph Smith they came as murderers, and there is no justification for what they did. There's absolutely none. And Joseph was lied to. He was promised protection. Yes, yes, yes. But Joseph Smith was slipped a revolver. And when his brother was shot and said that I'm a dead man, Joseph took this gun and he fired shots. Now, if my memory serves a bit, I think only two or three of those shots got off. And I do believe that there were about two people that were actually killed as a result of it. Joseph Smith didn't go down as a lamb led to the slaughter. He didn't go down as a martyr in that case. Joseph Smith was defending his life. And he shot back. And people died. Okay? But in terms of like not loving his life to the end, well, not only did he not know he was going to die, and he was trying to defend himself and fighting back, which I don't know that I disagree, but, but we can't paint the story as though he was somehow a martyr, okay? He, of course, was murdered, but he was not martyred. He fought back. What many see as wrongdoing in Joseph Smith was actually his obedience to God. The prophet taught that the death... 1826, Bainbridge, New York crystal ball gazing, being fined. The uh, occultic practices that Joseph Smith was involved in, that was his obedience to God. Engaging in a sexual relationship with a woman before he receives the revelation of uh, polygamy from God, before he promises ultimately eternal condemnation and wrath to his wife if she doesn't accept this, that, that was obedience to God. Well, people might say, though, uh, those sins don't disqualify him from being a prophet. 
Sure, right. all the prophets were sinners. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would say that his engaging in occultic practices do disqualify him because it shows bad fruit. God calls what he did an abomination. And so I would point to that. But you're right. There's more than needs to be said. And so what I would point to further, and we can do this all day, and I would encourage you guys to check out many, any, any number of the just excellent documentaries on this point, I would point to his lies. How about the Pearl of Great Price? How about the Pearl of Great Price, 1835, Michael Chandler delivering all this to the, to the Latter-day Saints. Joseph Smith saying that this is by his own hand, the book of Abraham, the book of Joseph. It's by his own hand. God's delivered this to us. He's preserved this for us. And so Joseph begins the quote-unquote translation, and he demonstrates that he deliberately lied to the Mormon people. And whether or not he was a seer, whether he had the ability to translate dead languages. Now, he originally said the Book of Mormon was written in Reformed Egyptian hieroglyphics, by the way, a language that does not exist in history. And he translated from that into English with the Book of Mormon. Now, it's what he said he could do. Now, we have the scroll from which he translated the Pearl of Great Price. And we have demonstrable proof that he deliberately lied to the Mormon people and his ability to translate dead languages. Anybody can look that up. And so if, if, am I allowed to question that, Jason? Am I allowed to question that? Am I allowed to take the scroll that Joseph quote-unquote translated from and line it up with, with his Egyptian Greek, uh, Egyptian alphabet and grammar and his journals to show that he in fact didn't get a word right in the translation? Was that from God? That wrongdoing, that deliberate deception on the Mormon people, that complete false witness. Was that from God? Was that him doing what God told him to do? Has great power to deceive. He will so transform things as to make one gape at those who are doing the will of God. If any hope to find a particle of evil in one so pure as Joseph Smith, they will find, as the Lord said, that their hope shall be blasted. What? Even a particle? So there's not even a, a particle of wrongdoing in Joseph Smith. Not even, a, not even a particle. He is pure. God will blast that. Even a particle? You see what Joseph now, Joseph is being elevated as the lamb without spot or blemish. He's the, he's the hinge now. Jesus is the door, but Joseph is the hinge. You need Joseph to get to God. And don't you know that Joseph Smith is pure and undefiled? Joseph Smith here, not, not even having a particle of impurity. And their prospects shall melt away as the hoar frost melteth before the burning rays of the rising sun. Any evil they think they may find in Joseph Smith, no matter how widely believed, will be a lie. Really? Well, let's look at what the Word of God says, Jason. 1 John 1, 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. This man says that he has no sin. He won't find it. Well, that means, Jason, the truth is not in you. It was not in Joseph and it is certainly not in you. 
Christians don't talk that way about themselves. They don't talk that way about their leaders. They don't talk that way about biblical prophets and apostles. The only one that we speak of that has that kind of life is the son of the living God. It's Jesus Christ. Now, you may be able to try to backpedal and, and try to minimize your statements, but it is clear as day. We know what you're saying. And of course, we understand, Jason, why you would speak in this way. You have to. It's an epistemological necessity. You need to create a standard outside of God's word, a standard outside of Jesus Christ in order to deceive the people that are under your authority. For he was righteous and pure. That, you catch that, Marcus? Yeah, he was jo- righteous and pure. Joseph is righteous and pure. Right. That's President John Taylor testified, I was acquainted with Joseph Smith for years. I traveled with him. I have been with him in public and in private. I was with him when he died. I have seen him under all these various circumstances. And I testify before God, angels, and men that he was a good, honorable, and virtuous man, that his private and public character was irreproachable, and that he lived and died a man of God. Joseph Smith declared, I have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards all men. I shall die innocent. And he was innocent. He lived great. And he died great in the eyes of God and his people. He said, I do not the wrongs that I am charged with doing. Do you think that even Jesus, if he were here, would be without fault in your eyes? His enemies said all manner of evil against him. They all watched for iniquity in him. Brother, And the difference, my friend, is that none of their false testimony was based upon truth it was easily refuted and note very carefully the trial of jesus when they brought people to trial against jesus it says as a matter of historical record that their testimonies did not match up they did not work it was demo it was demonstrably false testimony and don't forget that Pilate, when he actually goes before the people he washes his hands and says as a matter of record in history i find no fault in him that's the difference jesus could stand up before his friends and foes alike and he could say which of you accuses me of sin and they could say ultimately nothing because it was baseless the challenge for the mormon people is that these charges against joseph smith are true they matter and what is said sticks and sisters Jesus Christ was sinless and perfectly obedient. But remember, it was the guilty hypocrites who accused him, even God, of being mad, of being gluttonous or greedy, of being a Sabbath breaker, of being austere or harsh, of being a wine-bibber or a drunk, or of things that we would call black magic casting out devils by the power of the prince of devils. And above all, they even said that God himself, the greatest of all, hath a devil. It is interesting that many of the accusations made against Jesus Christ 
have been and continue to be made against the Prophet Joseph Smith. Such accusations are evidence that he was more like the Savior than any other person on this earth. Please take a moment to ponder such testimonies of the Prophet Joseph Smith given by those who knew him best. Brigham Young said, Who can justly say anything against Joseph Smith? I was as well acquainted with him as any man. I do not believe his father and mother knew him any better than I did. I do not think a man lives on the earth that knew him any better than I did. And I am bold to say that Jesus Christ accepted no better man ever lived or does now live upon this earth. I am his witness. John Taylor said, Joseph Smith, the prophet and seer of the Lord, has done more, save Jesus only, for the salvation of men in this world than any other man that ever lived in it. Boyd K. Packer said, I know that Joseph Smith was a mighty prophet, seer, and revelator. With the exception of Jesus Christ, he is the greatest being who ever walked the face of this earth. Many others have also testified of the greatness of Joseph Smith. Let's take a moment to watch President Gordon B. Hinckley share his witness of the prophet. Though Joseph's life was taken at an early age, his testimony of the eternal God and the risen Lord lives on with luster and eloquence. I look to him. I love him. I seek to follow him. I read his words, and they become the standards to be observed in guiding this great church. There you go. I, I noted uh, a few times already that it is an epistemological necessity that you put Joseph Smith and his teachings um, in this position. You must, because whether you like it or not, if you are going to create a, li- a religion where, that people follow uh, that claims to stand in the Bible but contradicts its message, you must invest standard authority in this one, Joseph Smith. And you notice what Hinckley says there. Uh, he is who I follow. His words have become the standard to guide this church. That's right. Not the Bible. Joseph Smith and his teachings. That's the standard. You have to, because you can't have, again, two ultimate authorities. One's going to eat the other up. And so, Gordon Hinckley here is stating what is an epistemological necessity. You must have Joseph Smith and his revelation as a standard. As it moves forward in fulfilling its eternal destiny. To slightly paraphrase the words of our wonderful hymn, great is his glory and endless his priesthood. Ever and ever the keys he will hold. Faithful and true, he has entered God's kingdom, crowned in the midst of the prophets of old. Such is my solemn and sacred witness to you, my brethren and sisters. What President Hinckley revealed about Joseph Smith is most sacred. I hope you felt it. 
I hope you also notice that he, as president of the church, said, I look to Joseph Smith. I love him. I seek to follow him. I read his words, and they become the standards to be observed in guiding this great church. This leads to the second thing that we can do to more fully know the prophet Joseph Smith, to study his words. Joseph Smith's words are still and always will be the standard for guiding the true church of Christ. Did you catch that? Wow. Not the Bible. Not the word of God. Not the words of the living God. Now Joseph Smith's words are the standard which guides the Mormon church. And there is the fatal admission. The fatal admission. So all of the videos, all the propaganda, all the commercials about Mormonism and the Bible and the Book of Mormon, just know that there is confession to the point by Mormon prophets and apostles that the standard is not the word of God. The standard is, of course, the words of the prophet Joseph Smith. And that is, of course, again, how it must be if you're going to create a religion that apes Christianity and distorts its message. You must have the word of God as a secondary Standard, which means it is ultimately really no standard at all, at all, because the ultimate standard is Joseph. The teachings of the church they will tell you what the word of God means. So the more the Bible at that point becomes in the Mormon Church a prop. It becomes somewhat of an artifact. It becomes something that you point to and say, "Well, that's there." And yes, we believe that. But our prophets and apostles they tell us really the scoop and how things are. And again, that's really how every religion works that apes Christianity. Roman Catholicism works the same way. James White wrote a book on this. Scripture alone. Well, no, he wrote Mary, Another Redeemer, right? Oh, um... Which is the co-mediatrix that Mary... Like, he shows that Mary is co-mediatrix. I believe... Did Dr. Dr. White write that? Did he write... Yeah, I think he did write that, didn't he? Yeah. So I looked it up on Amazon. Yeah, you're right. I think he did, yes. I I haven't actually read that one. I read William Webster did a book like that on Mary. Uh, I didn't get a chance to read Dr. White's. But yeah, I think you're right. And but, uh, but like you could literally take the same, yeah, it's Mary Another Redeemer by there James, you go, yes. James White. You could literally take the same outline of that book and just replace it with Joseph Smith, Another Redeemer, yeah. and it's the exact same points. Yes. Yeah. The wa- the, the, it's without sin, mm-hmm. you need Joseph Smith's approval before getting, getting to heaven. Yep. So all that stuff, that's yeah. just, it's just... I mean, and, very high view of Joseph. It, exactly. You need to make a parallel between the prophet and Jesus in some way. So it's Walter Martin called it the, the deification of, of, of Mary. And that's happening here, of course, with Joseph Smith as well. And again, uh, I'd hate to belabor the point, but it just needs to be stated over and over again. Now you have Joseph Smith's revelation as Theonustos. These are the words of God. This is breathed out revelation from God, essentially. You need to follow that. The problem is is that when Joseph claims that his revelation is from the same God of the scriptures, then that revelation should actually match up with, his revelation should match up with the word of God. The Bible says, of course, Peter says that holy men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So if you have revelation from God and these prophets and apostles in the scriptures are given revelation from the Holy Spirit of God, then those testimonies have to match up. 
But Joseph's revelation about Jesus Christ, about the God of the Bible, about salvation, do not match up. You've got a different God. You've got a different gospel. We're not going to go into all that today, but I'll just point you to some quick stuff. Isaiah 43.10, Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Isaiah 44.6, I am the first and the last. Besides me there is no God. Joseph says that there were gods before God. You can become one one day. The Bible teaches the salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, apart from any work of law. Romans chapters 3, 4, the book of Galatians. Um, and Joseph Smith taught clearly. 2 Nephi 25, 23, by grace you are saved after all you can do. What's the third article of faith? We believe that through the atonement of Jesus Christ, all mankind may be saved through obedience. You see, that's a false gospel and it contradicts and it matters. The Lord said, wherefore, meaning the church, thou shalt give heed unto all his words and commandments, which he shall give unto you as he receiveth them, walking in all holiness before me. For his word ye shall receive as if from mine own mouth in all patience and faith. The Lord also told Joseph Smith that this generation shall have my word through you. The word of the Lord, the standard works, have all come to us through Joseph Smith. He gave us the Bible, in particular those plain and precious excerpts in the Joseph Smith translation. The Book of Mormon, which he translated by the gift of God. The Pearl of and you'll notice, of course, the plain and precious statement there. That refers to the plain and precious parts that were missing from the Bible, Joseph claimed, that he ended up fixing and adding in. So it's uh, Joseph Smith. Uh, his translation is his addition to and changing of the scriptures. And, of course, he even added a prophecy of himself into the end of Genesis there as well. Uh, so that's what he's referring to. Great price and the doctrine and covenants. These books contain the fullness of the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ, and they are essential for our salvation. King Benjamin's words have special meaning to us today when he said, Were it not for these scriptures, which have been kept and preserved by the hand of God, even our fathers would have dwindled in unbelief, and we should know nothing concerning these things. In writing the scriptures, the ancient prophets had their eyes fixed, not only on Jesus Christ, but also on Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith taught that prophets, priests, and kings have looked forward with joyful anticipation to the day in which we live, and fired with heavenly and joyful anticipations, they have sung and written and prophesied of this our day." Close quote. We can come to see the prophet Joseph, including his mission and his character, all throughout the scriptures. We can see him extensively in the words of Isaiah, in the great king Josiah, in the stone cut out of a mountain without hands prophesied of by Daniel, as the faithful and wise servant spoken of by Jesus, and as the choice seer spoken of by Joseph and Lehi. Amazing. And if you go to those texts, you'll see in the original context have absolutely nothing to do with Joseph Smith, 19th century American prophet. 
nothing to do whatsoever. If you read the passage he refers to just briefly in Daniel chapter 2, it has to do with the kingdom of the Messiah. The kingdom of the Messiah and this stone that eventually fills the entire earth is supposed to come during the time of the fourth kingdom, which if you count down from Daniel's time, Babylon, you land on Rome as the kingdom that this stone comes in and becomes a great mountain that fills the earth. That's a messianic passage and it has reference, specific reference in terms of even its timing um, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself has nothing to do with Joseph Smith, not even mentioned in the passage. And if you, again, look at the timing there, there's four kingdoms there, and then the God of heaven will himself set up a kingdom during the time of the fourth kingdom, and it is then that God himself sets up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. Now that, again, if you count down from Daniel's day, four kingdoms is the kingdom of Rome. That kingdom has come and gone. That can have nothing to do with Joseph Smith. This is another example of a person who is playing fast and loose with God's word, trying to apply passages that even refer to Jesus himself to Joseph Smith. We can find him hidden in parables such as the leaven hid in the three measures of meal and the servant who converses with the Lord throughout Zenos's allegory of the olive tree. We can find him. Except if you look at the passage about leaven and the loaf, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. He talks about it in his day. And by the way, he referred to the kingdom of God as a present reality in his day. He said, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He taught there and elsewhere. The kingdom of God had arrived in history. The apostles said exactly the same thing. He has made us a kingdom. Uh, that he, God has transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his own son. The Bible teaches the kingdom of God had arrived in the first century. Uh, that passage about leaven and a lump of dough had to do with the kingdom and its working out in history. Nothing to do with Joseph Smith whatsoever. With his brother Hiram, as the fellow servants slain under the altar that John saw, and all throughout the book of Revelation. As we humbly search the scriptures, we will come to know both Jesus Christ and his servant, Joseph Smith. In this connection, may I offer a suggestion to all of us? If we truly desire to know the prophet, we must go to the right source. And that is not a Google search. Boom, there it is. See? Not a Google search. There you go. You must inoculate the people. You must stop Latter-day Saints from examining this free access to all this information, Google is destroying Mormonism. Because, again, just give it a test. Type in Mormon, Mormonism, Joseph Smith in a Google search bar or in YouTube, and you will see Mormonism is being destroyed by the free access of information the comparisons between the biblical teaching about God and salvation and what Joseph taught, Joseph Smith's life and history, the history of the Mormon church, all of it occurred in a time, all of it occurred in a time where we have documentation you can look at, you can touch with your own hands, you can see these testimonies, you can examine his history, this history, and so the Mormon church is trying to protect themselves and their people from seeing this information. As President Ezra Taft Benson taught, Today, with the abundance of books available, it is the mark of a truly educated man to know what not to read. 
And there, once again, is the difference between Christianity and Mormonism. There is why, there, there's the example uh, as, as to why when you're doing evangelism uh, with Mormons, Mormon missionaries, uh, why they call what you have in your hands anti-Mormon literature. It's why they won't read it. It's because there are uh, scare tactics, sociological manipulation, uh, the, all, all of this takes place within the Mormon community. Stopping Mormon people from getting access to them to this information. So again, if you're a Latter-day Saint listening to this right now, I want to first commend you on your courage to listen to a Christian dialogue about these things. Because here's an example of the Mormon uh, people uh, essentially protecting themselves from getting access to information by saying, well, don't, don't read that. Don't look at that. What do Christians not do? That. Christians readily engage with the opposition. I have in my library, I have books, I have a library that would rival most atheists in terms of their uh, atheistic books. I, I, have, I have a library that would probably make a lot of atheists jealous than the books that I have in my library stacked up, and I read them. I look at them. I look at the best that they've got. I listen to their debates. I listen to their discussions because I want to know what they say about my faith. I, I actually engage with people who attack my faith and are critical of my faith. We engage in public debates. Christians go out to find who is the best antagonistic uh, representative against my belief system. Let's do a debate. Let's dialogue. Let's talk. We critique their works. And here's a man saying from the Mormon perspective, you need to know which books not to read. In other words, don't read what the anti-Mormons say. Don't see what their arguments say. Don't look at what they're saying about our prophets and apostles. Why? Because what they say, their prophets and apostles cannot stand up under scrutiny. That is the fact of the matter. They cannot stand up under scrutiny. And so the best thing to do is to protect your people from reading it, from seeing it, from knowing it. Because if Mormons get access to what the scriptures say in comparison to Mormon teaching, Mormons will know that Mormonism teaches a false God and false gospel. If Mormons get access to Joseph Smith's history, if they see what the man was truly about, if they see what he really produced, Mormons will know that he was a fraud, that he was a liar, that he deceived, deliberately deceived the Mormon people. And so the best thing to do is not engage. The best thing to do is to stop people from seeing. The Lord gave us the key to knowing Joseph Smith when he said, Seek ye out of the best books, words of wisdom. And what are those best books? Brothers and sisters, they're the scriptures. The so here's how you test Joseph Smith, guys. Don't read any of the books that critique his teachings, that talk about his history. Don't read those. Here's the best way. Go to the writings of Joseph Smith. And the Mormon prophets and apostles. Don't read anything antagonistic towards our faith. Just go to the works of Joseph Smith. I hope with all my heart that God is challenging you right now. If you are a Mormon, if you are a Latter-day Saint, know that we know that you're genuine. We know that you're zealous. We know that you truly believe what you believe. We know that you are sincere. We know that. We're not attacking that. We're pointing you to the fact that this is deliberate deception deliberate deception to be told not to examine to be told not to see 
It's not biblical practice. You do not find this kind of practice anywhere in the Bible. You're taught that we shall know them by their fruits. We will come to know the prophet by daily partaking of his fruit, the scriptures, more than any other writings. Can I bring up an example of fruit? How about the one that I already brought up so you can examine just a single thing at a time? How about the fruit of the pearly great price? How about that? How about Joseph Smith deliberately lying to the Mormon people and deceiving them, saying he could translate dead languages when he clearly could not? It is a documentable, irrefutable fact of history. Joseph Smith deliberately lied to the Mormon people. We have a show about that on Apology All Access, by the way, too. We do. uh, What were those guys' names? Uh, From Mormon Research Ministry, Bill McKeever. Yeah. Eric Johnson. That was fascinating. Yes, it was. About where they actually found the scrolls? Yes, absolutely. And so, my friends, if you're listening to this again, if you're a Latter-day Saint, how about that fruit? Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits. How about the fruit of his lips, the things that he said about God that contradicted scripture? How about the fruit of the man's life, where the man demonstrated that he deliberately and willfully deceived the Mormon people? Does that count? The third thing that we must do to come to know Joseph Smith is to be loyal to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We cannot know the Savior or Joseph Smith without being 100% loyal to this church and to the priesthood keys held by the prophets who now preside over it. Elder, More manipulation. Oh, I hope you see it. If you're a Latter-day Saint today and you're listening to this, I hope you see it. Firm up your commitments, they say. Be just, just be loyal to Joseph. Be loyal to the church. You'll ne- you're never going to know Joseph or God if you don't start with loyalty. Loyalty. And this, by the way, goes to what we say all the time in Apologia. All the time. There is no neutrality. There is no neutrality. Here's a vivid display of it. No neutrality. You cannot serve two masters. You're either with me or against me, Jesus says. And what this man is saying is essentially that. You must be loyal to Joseph. But Jesus demands from us total loyalty to him. Total, complete loyalty to him. And this man is calling you to abandon loyalty to Jesus and give all your loyalty to Joseph. I hope you see that. Heber C. Kimball prophesied of a time when you will have all the trouble, trial, and persecution that you can stand and plenty of opportunities to show that you are true to God and his work, close quote. I believe that time is at hand. The prophet Joseph Smith gave us a key for navigating such troubled times. He said, all saints profit by this important key, that in all your trials, troubles, temptations, afflictions, bonds, imprisonments, and death, See to it that you do not betray Jesus Christ, that you do not betray the brethren, that you do not betray the revelations of God, whether in the Bible, Book of Mormon, or Doctrine and Covenants. Yea, in all your kicking and flounderings, see to it that you do not this thing, lest innocent blood be found upon your skirts and you go down to hell. As President Ezra Taft Benson taught, Our task is to stick with the kingdom, not to let anything or anybody disaffect or sour us toward that great gift which Christ has given us. 
his church. Today, we've reflected on a few testimonies of and about Joseph Smith. We know that he's a mighty prophet. We know that he is a choice seer and a great revelator and testator. Although we have received so many blessings through him, do we really know him? Do we know how great he really is? He said, you don't know me. You never knew my heart. No man knows my history. I cannot tell it. I shall never undertake it. I never did harm any man since I was born in the world. I never think any evil, nor do anything to the harm of my fellow men. When I am called by the trump of the archangel and weighed in the balance, you will all know me then. I add no more. God bless you all. Well, 1 John 1.8, again, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. That applies to Joseph Smith too. And I do want to point out that there is a really, really great book. If you don't have it in your library, you should get it in your library. If, you're, if you are invested in reaching Mormons, uh, you ought to know a bit about Mormonism and its history. And Joseph Smith, that's a famous quotation, by the way. He's picking some pretty well-known ones. Uh, no Man Knows My History. Uh, there's a, a great book by Fawn Brody, a great historian, and the book is called No Man Knows My History. Uh, <laughs> I cannot tell it. I shall never intake it. Well, she knows it, and uh, she's put it in a book for us. No Man Knows My History by Fawn Brody. If you don't have it, get it, uh, and you'll know Joseph Smith's history. Perhaps we will only fully know the greatness of Joseph Smith after this life. According to those who associated with him, the prophet said, Would to God, brethren, I could tell you who I am. Would to God I could tell you what I know, but you would call it blasphemy. And there are men upon this stand who would want to take my life. Such evil men did take the life of Joseph Smith. But as Brigham Young testified, though they have killed his body, yet he lives and beholds the face of his Father in heaven. Close quote. Today, I believe and am sure that Joseph Smith has triumphed over all his enemies, and the last enemy was death. Brothers and sisters, we have not seen the last of Joseph Smith. You see those parallels once again there? Did you catch them? That he's died, yet he lives and sees the face of God, and he's triumphed over death. Do you see the parallels again? All yeah. that language comparing him so closely to Jesus, mediator. He's not even trying to hide it. Mediator, way to God, triumphed over death, you know, dead but alive. You know, I understand what he's saying, you know, oh, he's in heaven with God. But the language is so closely connected to Jesus Christ. He needs Jesus. He needs Joseph Smith to be the standard. He needs to deify him. He needs to compare him to Jesus. He needs to make him pure, without spot, blemish. He needs to do it because you can't have two masters. You can't have two authorities running running alongside one another. He is not merely a prophet of the past. When Joseph and Hiram were in Carthage, Elder Parley P. Pratt was traveling on his way home to Nauvoo from a mission. In the very hour their innocent blood was being shed, 
a strange and solemn awe came over Elder Pratt, as if the powers of hell were let loose. When he later heard that Joseph and Hiram had been killed, he cried out in anguish, O Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray thee, show me what these things mean, and what shall I say to thy people in Nauvoo? On a sudden, the Spirit of God came upon me, and while the Spirit of Revelation glowed in my bosom with as visible a warmth and gladness as if it were fire, the Spirit said unto me, Lift up your head and rejoice, for behold, it is well with my servants Joseph and Hiram. My servant Joseph still holds the keys of my kingdom in this dispensation, and he shall stand in due time on the earth, in the flesh, and fulfill that to which he is appointed. President Brigham Young gave us the same witness. He said, Joseph Smith, Jr. will again be on this earth, dictating plans and calling forth his brethren, and he will never cease his operations under the directions of the Son of God until the last ones of the children of men are saved that can be from Adam till now. Should not this... See now? See the parallel now? What's that parallel? Second coming. Just see? See? Mediator, pure, the way to God. You've got dead but alive, conquering death, and then he will in the flesh be back on this earth again. Who's that sound like? You could run that parallel to what the Bible says about Jesus, and you've got the deification of Joseph Smith happening here. You've got Joseph Smith actually, I mean, blatantly, this man taking passages that are about Jesus, the Messiah, and applying them to Joseph Smith. That's what happens. It happens again in Roman Catholicism. It happens in Mormonism. Comfort all people. They will, by and by, be a thousand times more thankful for such a man as Joseph Smith Jr. than it is possible for them to be for any earthly good whatever. It is his mission to see that all the children of men are saved that can be through the redemption. Close. And there it is again. It's, it's his mission to see that all the children of men receive salvation. What, is, what does the Bible say about Jesus? It's Jesus, Isaiah 2, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11. It's Jesus, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, who is drawing all tribes, tongues, people of every language to himself. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and on, You've got his government increasing. It's, it's him bring, bringing justice and peace. It's the nations streaming up to the mountain of God in Isaiah chapter 2 because of Messiah. And now you've got Joseph Smith put into a position where he is the one ultimately drawing all men to God. That's, that's the task of the Messiah. That's Jesus in John chapter 6 who's doing that, coming down from heaven, not to do his will, but the will of him who sent me. And what is the will of him who has sent me? That I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me. And him drawing all men to himself. That's the mission of the Messiah, not a, a 19th century American prophet. Whoa. Now, brothers and sisters, 
When compared to these testimonies of the Lord's prophets, my own testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith may mean very little to you, but it is everything to me. All spiritual blessings from the Lord have come to me because of Joseph Smith. All of the scriptures, the priesthood, my baptism for the remission of my sins, the gift of the Holy Ghost, which bears a true witness of the Father and the Son to me. Wow. Wow, that's just not even true. <laughs> All <laughs> spiritual blessings have been given to me because of Joseph Smith. And then he actually even says the gift of the Holy Spirit. But if you read John chapter 14, what does Jesus say about the gift of the Holy Spirit? He says, but the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will guide you into all truth. He will convict the world of sin and righteousness. But who sends the Holy Spirit? And in whose name? The Father sends the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, not Joseph Smith. This man, again, this is deification. It's turning Joseph Smith into Messiah. It's turning Joseph Smith into the mediator. Joseph Smith is the foundation and source of every spiritual blessing that this man has been given. Joseph Smith, not Jesus Christ. Boy, I hope, again, Latter-day Saints who hear this, I hope you will know the true Christ. I hope you will know the sure foundation of his word, and I hope you will know that Joseph Smith is a false prophet who led you after a false God. You can reject him with comfort and peace and you can know Christ where there is eternal life. Jesus, the creator of all things, the eternal God, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, who gives life and a perfect righteousness through faith as a gift apart from any work of law. The ordinances of the temple which bind my ancestors and my posterity to me and my precious wife, all of these blessings, and countless others, are given unto me because of the prophet Joseph Smith. I love him. It is because of him that the very blessings of the atonement of Jesus Christ can be fastened and made sure unto us. I invite all to gain a sound and enduring witness of the prophet Joseph Smith and the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, which has come through him. It is my prayer that each of us will reverence the name of Joseph Smith in word and in deed, that in a future day, many of us, perhaps millions, shall know Brother Joseph again. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So I hope that was a blessing to everybody. Uh, Marcus, tell me some of your thoughts well, before we sign if, off. If if uh, something is given, at, like that was from BYU-Idaho. Yes, sir. Is that considered canon for the church? No. No? No. Um, and uh, that's probably the point of attack any Mormon who hears this would make. Uh, that Well, that's not scripture. That's not for, from uh, the apostles. That's not from the current prophet of the of the church. Uh, the only difficulty in that uh, challenge is that this man is quoting from the Mormon prophets and apostles regarding the doctrine that he's teaching. 
And so it's not enough to say, well, that's not an actual authority of the church. It's not a prophet. It's not an apostle. Uh, so, you know, you can't take what he says. He's just one Mormon giving his opinion. Again, the problem is he's basing what he says upon the teachings of Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, the prophets and apostles of Mormonism. Right. And so this is classic Mormon teaching. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's, you know, it, it seems pretty clear they're trying to deify Joseph. Absolutely. And make him out to be the savior. Well, he, he right. I mean, he's, he's the savior in Mormonism. You need him to get to God. You need him to get to Jesus. He's the foundation, according to Jason, uh, of all of his spiritual blessings. That, my friends, is not biblical. It's idolatry. It's idolatry. Yes, sir. It is idolatry. It's a false god. It's a false mediator. It's a false gospel. It cannot save you. And so, I want to encourage... Brothers and sisters who are listening to this right now, I hope that emboldens you. I hope that increases your passion and desire for the Mormon people to reach them. And I hope you just can hear that admission there regarding Google. I mean, ultimately, it's God who's sovereign over that. He's He's got his providence working. But did he ever give us a gift there? Absolutely. It is a tremendous gift that um, is giving us a great opportunity right now to reach them. And so, again, if you are a Latter-day Saint, we want to affirm our love for you. We want to affirm our desire for you to know the true God. We do not want to rob you of faith. We want to point you to the true and living Christ, where there is salvation through faith in Him alone, apart from any work of law, through His work on behalf of His people. And uh, you need to know the Christ who is not the brother of Satan but the creator of Satan himself. You need to know the Jesus who has existed eternally in intimate relationship with the Father, who was not created, who has no beginning. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. There is only one God. You'll never become a God one day. It is an abomination to suggest so. You can know peace with God. You can have your sins forgiven through Jesus Christ. The call is to repent and believe the gospel. And that's my hope for any Mormon listening to this right now. Latter-day Saints, please know Christians love you. Our desire is that you know God. And, uh, yeah, I'm just so glad we got a chance to get a hold of that and uh, got to get it up before maybe it's taken down one day. I don't know. Uh, So, uh, Marcus, yeah, we're going to take off right now. Thanks for joining me today on the broadcast. There's a debate coming on tonight. Did you know that? That's right. I know. I know. We're all interested (laughs) to see uh, uh, what happens with that. Uh, Let's point you to uh, some resources quickly before we go. If you look through ApologiaRadio.com, you can see a lot of past episodes where we deal with this subject and many more subjects. And so I encourage you guys to listen to those, download them, share them, let people know. Also go to ApologiaRadio.com, sign up for all access. You can get the eight or nine part series that we did on apologetics and specifically focusing on Mormonism. Dr. James White joined me in that. So I think it'd be very helpful to you. Also, uh, Marcus just dropped a bunch of new things into Apology Academy that will really bless your life. So I encourage you guys to sign up and partner with us in ministry. Join with us in this ministry of the gospel to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Um, that's it, guys. That's all we have to say for today. Thank you guys for your prayers over the last uh, week, or week and a half. Um, for our church as we've been really grieving over the loss of our sister uh, but we also rejoice because we know where she's at she's with the Lord right now and we're thankful uh, that God allowed us to have a, a moment with her in our lives and uh, if you would pray for the Arrington family right now 
uh, seven kids, and Brad is uh, now solely in charge and responsible of her taking care of them. And uh, we they, should we should mention that it's Carmen's mom. That's right. Who works here at the studio all the time? Yeah, you guys know Carmen. We're always calling him the homeschool homeschool woodpecker. He's the one who's always here during every episode we're doing. He's the one in the background, and um, he puts together a lot of the stuff that you see. And so it is Carmen's mom uh, who went to be with the Lord. So pray for them. And uh, again, thank you. Thank you so much to everybody who's participating with us and loves us. We're just grateful. Uh, I should mention, of course, that as of right now, we try to raise $50,000 for the Arringtons, and we're somewhere around forty-three or 44000 So if you participated in that, thank you. Man, thank you guys so much. It means so much. When you look into these kids' faces, um, you know, you can't help but struggle with grief over what they're going through, but it is always encouraging to see God's people from around the world pulling together to love people that you don't even know uh, for the cause of Christ. And it it really means a lot. So thank you. And uh, we will uh, catch you guys next time. ApologiaRadio.com. Thank you, King Ginger. You're welcome.